Is the book of Genesis a book that should be taught and studied in the church? After all, it does contain some very controversial topics such as the biblical account of creation and the biblical account of the Genesis flood or worldwide flood. I want to welcome you to Creation Radio and TV. I'm your host, Mike Riddle, the founder and president of Creation Training Initiative. And today's topic is the book of Genesis. Is it important enough to be taught in the church? And we're going to take this session in three parts. Number one, Genesis is a book about beginnings. Second, Genesis is a book about doctrines. And third, Genesis is a book that contains many answers to challenges by the world. So let's start with part one. Genesis is a book about beginnings. The word Genesis actually means beginnings or origins. And the first thing we learn in the Bible from the book of Genesis is that God does exist and He is the creator of all things. And we see that theme throughout the entire Bible. Let's just take a look at several verses that talk about God as the creator of all things. And we'll start in the book of Genesis chapter 1 where it clearly teaches that God created everything in six literal days. Then we can turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 11, where it teaches, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Nehemiah 9, 6, You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them. Isaiah 42, verse 5, Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out. Let's go to the New Testament. John chapter 1, verse 3. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. The book of Acts chapter 4, verse 24. Lord, You are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9. God who created all things through Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.16, For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. And even the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things, and by Your will they exist and were created. So we see there from just several of the Scriptures that God indeed is the creator of all things. Not some things, but all all things, and the Bible makes that a theme. Now, Genesis also gives us the beginning of the whole universe. Genesis teaches us where space, time, and matter came from. And we see that in the very first verse of the Bible where it states, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The word beginning connotates the beginning of time. The word heavens indicates the beginning of space. And the word earth indicates the beginning of matter. So there we have it, the beginning of space, time, and matter. Genesis also gives us the beginning of languages. We wonder where all these languages came from. Turn to the book of Genesis. And we go to chapter 11 where we read about the account of the Tower of Babel. And we'll go to Genesis chapter 11 verse 1 where it states, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. Now let's skip ahead to verse 9, chapter 11, where it states, Therefore its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. So if we wonder where languages came from, turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 11. Also, Genesis 
gives us the beginning of our relationship with our Creator God. Right there, Genesis shows us and teaches that our original relationship with God was a perfect relationship. Let's take a look at several verses in Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says this, where it teaches that man was made in the image and likeness of God. Well, that's very important because no other creature on this earth was made in the image and likeness of God. Only man was made in his image and likeness. And folks, that means we're not animals. That's what humans classify us. That's what we learn in our biology classrooms. But folks, God did not classify us as animals. Then in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 28, God blessed them and spoke to them, referring to Adam and Eve. He blessed them and spoke to them. In verse 29, chapter 1, God gave them food. And then we turn to Genesis 1, 31, where God has just finished his creation. And he looks back on his entire creation and calls it very good or perfect. Now, what does that mean? That means our original relationship with our Creator God was perfect, meaning there was no sin, no death, and no corruption. A perfect relationship from the beginning, and it remained perfect until the fall. Genesis also gives us the beginning of our work week. We see this in Genesis chapter 1 where God created everything in six literal days and rested the seventh. So we get our model right there, work six, rest one. We also see this in the Ten Commandments, commandment number four in Exodus 20 verse 11 where it says he created everything in six days and rested one. So we are told to work six and rest one. That is the model God gave us. Now something very interesting about the week. It is not an astronomical event. For example, where do we get a day from? That is an astronomical event. Is the rotation of the earth once on its axis? Where do we get a month from? That is also an astronomical event. That is the moon going around the earth. And a year is also an astronomical event. That is the time it takes for the earth to revolve around the sun. But the week, again, is not an astronomical event. It comes from the book of Genesis in the Bible. Well, the book of Genesis, unfortunately, also gives us the beginning of murder. The very first murder in all history takes place in Genesis chapter 4, verse 8, where we read, Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. So the very first murder in all history is recorded in the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis also gives us the beginning of nations, people groups, but not races. Nowhere in the Bible does, the, does it teach that there are different races. That is a human concept. That is a man-made concept that there are different races. But the Bible teaches there's only one race. And we start with Adam and Eve, the very first people. And we go through the Genesis, go through Genesis, and we arrive at Noah and his family. And we see he had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And those are the beginning of the nations. And we read this in Genesis chapter 10, verse 1. Now this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the sons were born to them after the flood. So it talks about the sons of Noah. They had genealogies, and they were the beginning of all the nations. Why? Why? Because, folks, in that worldwide flood, 
Every human being except Noah and his family, eight people, survived that flood. And from there, we get the nations. And we skip ahead now to Genesis chapter 11, again to the account of the Tower of Babel, where God scatters everybody across the earth because of their disobedience. And people take on different characteristics. Why? Because God has programmed into our DNA the ability to vary within kind, but not become a new kind. And because God scatters people all over the earth, people take on different characteristics because they have different environments, different situations they must encounter. In other words, regardless, all humans, based on their size, their shape, their skin color, ultimately are descendants of Adam and Eve. One race, one people group, but different nations. Now, the book of Genesis also gives us the beginning of the gospel, our understanding of the very foundation of the gospel and why Jesus Christ had to go to the cross and shed his blood and resurrect. And I'd like to read John chapter 3, verse 17 to help us understand why Genesis is the foundation for the gospel. And it reads, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Note the word saved there. Why do we need to be saved? What do we need to be saved from? To answer that question, we must go back to the book of Genesis. We need to be saved because of the fall. See, if the fall was not a literal account, then why do we need to be saved? If Adam and Eve didn't literally disobey God, then why did Jesus Christ have to go to the cross? See, we must take the book of Genesis as literal history, or we really don't have a foundation for the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, the gospel really starts in the book of Genesis. So part one was Genesis is a book about beginnings. Now part two, Genesis is a book about biblical doctrines. Almost every doctrine we have has its foundation in the book of Genesis. For example, the doctrine of God and His character is found right in the book of Genesis. He is the creator of all things. He is all-powerful. Only He can create out of nothing. And this is where we tend to have a problem in many of these universities that have these so-called religion classes where they teach that the Bible does not state how God created. Folks, that is a very wrong concept. This does not take rocket science to understand how God created. If people are out there saying the Bible doesn't teach how God created, my recommendation is read the Bible because it over and over again it teaches how God created. We see in the first chapter of Genesis, and God said multiple times, it clearly teaches that God simply spoke it into existence. We also see this in Psalm 33, 6 and 9, where it states, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, for he spoke, and it was done. It is very simple and clear, folks. God spoke it into existence by his great power. So let's start reading the Bible, and we find out there's answers in there. Genesis also now gives us the doctrine of marriage. The very definition of marriage is found in Genesis chapter 1, one man and one woman. And we read this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There's the definition of marriage, one man and one woman. Jesus also referred to this definition in the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 6 through 8. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. There is the definition of marriage. Now, Genesis is also talks about the doctrine of sin and its consequences. The doctrine of sin is important to understand because it relates the book of Genesis to the cross. Why Jesus Christ had to the, go to the cross, shed his blood, and be resurrected. Now, the original sin did corrupt all of God's perfect creation. And we can see four effects that original sin had on creation. First, the effect of our relationship with God our relationship with the Holy God. After the fall, because of sin, we are now separated from a perfect and holy God. So that is the first consequence, separation from God. The second effect on, was our relationship between people. Instead of everybody having a perfect relationship, now we have fear, we have hatred, jealousy, lying, cheating, and so on. So that is the second relationship. The third relationship was on the creation itself. Because of the fall, because of disobedience, sin, we now have disasters, earthquakes, tornadoes, floods, and so on. And the fourth relationship was on an individual, each one of us. We are now in a spiritual battle, and we are slaves to sin. Those are the four effects sin had on God's perfect creation. So to fully understand the salvation message, you must go back to the book of Genesis, which starts with a holy God and a perfect creation. Genesis also talks about death. Why do we die? Why is there suffering? And we can see this in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, where it states, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And that is exactly what happened. Adam and Eve disobeyed God's one and only rule. And because of that disobedience, all of creation fell into corruption. And we have sin. And because of that sin, death now entered God's perfect creation. We also see this in the New Testament in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Genesis is also a book that talks about the first promise of a Savior. The doctrine of salvation starts in the book of Genesis, and we read this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That is the first promise of a Savior. Notice the words in there, bruise his heel. That is a temporary wound on Jesus Christ. Only temporary because Jesus conquered death. He came up out of that grave 
a temporary wound. But then the words, bruise his head, is a mortal wound to Satan. In other words, Satan loses and God remains supreme over his creation. Right in the book of Genesis. So the first two parts. Genesis is a book about beginnings. Genesis is a book about doctrines. And now part three, Genesis is a book that has many answers. Let's just start with this. Genesis has answers about science. If you want to understand science, you must go to the book of Genesis because there's the whole foundation for understanding science. For example, where did this earth come from? Now, our scientists have all kinds of speculations, but none of them seem to work very well. But the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. On day one, God spoke the earth into existence. We have the beginning of light. Where does light come from? We see that in Genesis chapter 1, where it states, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Genesis also gives us the beginning and origin of stars. Where do stars come from? Our scientists really don't have a very good answer. They have a lot of speculation, but none of them work scientifically. But on day four, it states, And he made the stars also. He called them into existence by His great power. Also, we see the origin of all the diversity of life forms. And we see on day f- 5 and 6, God created all the life forms. He, on day 5, He created the sea creatures and He created the flying creatures. On day 6, He made the land animals and He made people. And He gave each and every one of us the ability to vary within kind, but not become a new kind. We also see on day six, as part of the land animals, this is where we find the origin of dinosaurs. Folks, dinosaurs were land animals, and on day six, God created the dinosaurs. They did not evolve into birds, and they did not evolve from some other creature. See, there's absolutely zero evidence where the dinosaurs came from. I don't see any of these transitions in the museums. There's made-up transitions, but none of them are transitions. I see reptiles that look a lot like dinosaurs. And folks, dinosaurs stayed dinosaurs throughout their entire life. All All these ideas of dinosaurs with feathers is nothing more than deceit because what they're doing is drawing pictures of dinosaurs with feathers or pasting them onto the fossils that we find. We don't find anything factual, folks. And on day six, we also get the answer, where did man come from? See, all the evolutionists have been able to do is establish a history of misinterpreting the evidence, mistakes, even frauds. And that's being taught in our public education system. For example, Piltdown Man lasted for almost 40 years in our public education system as the fact of evolution. But in fact, it was a fraud. The whole thing was a fraud. It had been, the bones had been chemically stained and filed down to make them fit. That is evolution. Also, we had Nebraska Man. Nebraska Man had nothing to do with human evolution. All they found was a tooth. And it was not a human tooth. It was not an ape's tooth. It was a pig's tooth. What a great misinterpretation there. Then there's this famous creature they still teach called Lucy. One of those Australopithecines. Lucy. The facts now have clearly shown Lucy is not human. It's just some extinct ape-like creature. All the scientific evidence supports that. Then there's Neanderthals. 
They thought that was some lesser creature than humans. Well, folks, all the scientific evidence clearly supports Neanderthals were 100% human beings, folks. So all the evolution has been able to do is establish misinterpreting the evidence and frauds. Let me read something from a scientist, Jeffrey Tompkins, who has his PhD in genetics, and he states this. Results from this comprehensive study unequivocally indicate that the human and chimpanzee genomes are at least 10 to 12 percent less identical than commonly claimed. Now, what does that mean? Well, folks, they teach in our school systems today that apes and humans in our DNA were only about 2 to 3 percent difference. Well, folks, people who teach that need to get up to date with the science. We need to start getting back to science in these classrooms rather than just teaching evolution. You see, the results now show that we're greater than 2 to 3 percent. We're over 15 percent difference in our DNA between apes and ape-like creatures. Folks, that is over 200 million differences in our DNA. Why don't they get back to teaching the facts and science in our classrooms rather than promote evolutionism? See, the verbal evidence clearly supports everything was created after their kind. When we turn to just the observable evidence, and you cannot deny that, folks, everything else is going to be speculation. The observable evidence showed that fish produce fish, dogs produce dogs, apes produce apes, bacteria produce bacteria, and people produce people, folks. Those are the observable facts. No one has ever observed one kind of creature observing or one kind of creature evolving into another. Now, Genesis also answers many other questions, such as, who did Cain marry? Did God create everything in six little days? And the answer to that is absolutely yes. How could Adam have named all the animals in one day? Was there really a worldwide flood? Where do dinosaurs fit into the Bible? How old is the earth? What about the ice age? And did God use evolution? And the answer to that one, folks, is no. You see, we have a lot of Christian authorities out there, leaders, pastors, and university professors teaching that God used evolution, folks. My question or my statement to that is, read the Bible. Start reading the Bible because nowhere in the Bible do you see God using evolution. You see, God clearly states in His Word He created everything in six literal days. Second, let's approach something called logic for a change. So we turn to logic we look at the difference between God's order of creation and evolution. They're completely opposite. Day one and four, God created the earth and the stars. Notice God created the earth first, then stars, but evolution teaches stars were here first, then the earth. The Bible teaches God created the birds first, then the reptiles or land animals. Evolution teaches reptiles were here first, then birds. God's Word states He formed everything out of water. Evolution teaches, teaches no, it came from a fiery mass. Bible teaches God created the plants on day three and the sun on day four. Evolution is just the opposite. The Bible teaches man was here first, then came death. Evolution teaches millions of years of death, then came man. Folks, these are opposite, completely opposite. See, Genesis might be an, an ancient book, but its message is up to date. It is scientifically accurate in everything it states. See, if we don't accept the Bible as being scientifically accurate, what we're really saying here is this, that God does not understand science. Because in 2 Timothy 3.16, it teaches that all Scripture is God-breathed. And if all Scripture comes from God, and we're believing the Bible is not scientifically accurate, then you folks out there are saying 
God doesn't understand science. And don't forget, someday you will be standing before him. And what will you say to him about what you taught? See, Genesis is the very foundation for our Christian faith. That's why it's important. The first three chapters of Genesis lay the very foundation for the entire rest of the Bible. See, after Genesis chapter 3, the rest of the Bible is God's plan of redemption and restoration. Genesis is a book of beginnings, it is a book of doctrines, and it is a book that has many answers. It is the best place to start for understanding God's Word and who He is. Thank you, and God bless you. If these lessons had been a blessing to you, you might consider financially supporting the Ministry of Creation Training Initiative. You can do this by going to our website, creationtraining.org. Again, that's creationtraining.org. Your tax-deductible donation of just $20, $50 or more a month, or a one-time gift of any amount will make you an education partner in building an army of Christian educators who can teach the biblical account of creation and train others to be able to defend their faith and be biblically faithful to God's Word as it states in 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear.